Hey everyone, welcome to Livestream Stars. I'm Ross Brand, and joining me today is Rachel Miller. Rachel organizes the universe and makes things pretty. As a freelance social media and influencer marketing strategist, she helps companies identify and engage key community members and influencers to craft and amplify brand stories. You can connect with Rachel on Twitter, at Rachel Lou Miller. And Rachel, welcome. It's so great to have a chance to talk to you today. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me, Ross. So you at one point hosted what was really one of the most popular, I think, shows on Blab. It seems like a simple time, a long, long time ago. It was probably like a year ago, right? Um, but that was before so many changes um, in the world of live streaming. What did, what did you learn from that experience and how has that kind of impacted how you look at live streaming and either your work life or in building your own personal brand or how you advise clients, you know, what do you, how do you look back on it what, and what you learn from it? So, yeah, so social business hour, actually, we, we closed our doors almost a year ago. It was December of last year was our final episode. Uh, we had the show for almost two years. Um, and what I learned, uh, I would think the most and what resonates with me is the power of community. Um, Cause we started that show as a simple Twitter chat. Um, at the time, there weren't any shows that were incorporating video. Um, then after a few months, we added Google Hangouts. And then when Blab became available, we loved the idea that we could bring more people on at once instead of like flashing the giant face. It was more like a collaborative experience. Right. <laughs> you didn't scare people with that. Boom, and now Rachel's talking. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, I just community because they followed us and they loyally tuned in every Monday at 1 p.m. And I, I was so flattered every time because, you know, who were we? We're just, you know, two random people on camera <laughs> the shit about social media. So, uh, yeah, and I love that I'm still in contact with people that I met through that show. And it's been um, a truly, really beneficial for me personally and professionally, that show. So the results are still kind of resonating as the time has gone by. And what's interesting is a lot of people kind of run out of steam. They they run out of ideas. They don't find the guests that they want or they just become too busy. You guys were succeeding at it. I mean, you guys were killing it on, on that show and you had hundreds of people stopping in and there was great discovery, obviously, on Blab. So when you have a popular show already, it just keeps growing and growing. Why did you guys decide to to stop doing the show? I think we both, Brian and I both reached a point in our careers where we really wanted to dive deep into kind of our, I wouldn't say our personal brand, but more like our personal success. So the show was great. Um, it wasn't sponsored. You know, we just, we really just did it for the community education perspective. Um, and that was a point when I joined with Pure Matter. So I was really wanted to go hard and give them, you know, 200%, um, right. which has paid off. Because um, as you know, running a show, uh, it does take a lot of your time uh, booking out guests week over week, um, especially with all of the technology changes we've experienced the last few months. Um, and I've still, I have my eyes open. I have like a list of ideas that I would love to start a new show. Like I think once the dust settles and we, we there's a platform we can all know and trust, I kind of want to dive back in. Um, but as for right now, I'm really just focusing on um, my career success and what that means because Influencer marketing and social strategy has been such a rapidly changing environment, um, kind of deciding where I want that to go and how if I want to, you know, stay with an agency or do my own thing. So that's kind of been my focus the last year. 
What do you make of all the changes to live streaming since, um, you know, since Blab was sort of in its heyday and now that, you know, it no longer exists and there's all these other platforms and people are doing more produced video and, you know, there seems to be a lot of excitement about it and a lot of people are talking about what they want to do with live streaming. Um, from what you've seen, you know, working with different different um, companies, working with different individuals and influencers, um, what it, what impact is it actually having on on people's businesses using live video? I think live video as a whole is having a massive impact on business success because really nothing beats this like transparency. We're live. I don't know what questions you're going to ask me. So, you know, it's that really <laughs> right. real and raw and nothing. It's, it's addicting. People love that. They want to see the real you. Um, I do feel there's a huge opportunity in that collaborative live stream space. Um, I do miss Blab for that very reason. There's a lot of the more, the one side, more of the monologue. Um, so any tool I think that comes out with a stable platform where we can have multiple people on, they're going to be the front runner. And I think everyone's going to flock to them because I am one of those people who I'm not super comfortable talking about myself by myself. <laughs> so I wouldn't, I'm not a periscoper, but I, I love this kind of environment where I'm talking to a real person or like Blab where you could have multiple conversations um, in one viewing panel. So I'm hoping someone raises their hand and dominates that space. Right, right. So what do you make of um, Periscope Producer? Um, now you're going to have the opportunity to use um, software, encoding software, producing software um, such as Wirecast or OBS and actually do a talk show, an interview show, a produced, uh, very professional looking, you know, whatever you have the capability of doing, you can now do that on Periscope. But I'm wondering, you know, you think that, that, you know, there's the potential for a lot more views and engagement on Periscope than perhaps on other platforms? Yeah, I think the, the, the dis direction they've chosen, I think, is wise. Um, having a slightly more produced feel is way more comfortable for brands. It's not quite so raw so they can get on board with it. Um, and I do like where you can have the person, so you're still getting that authentic view, but then you're also seeing what they're seeing, or they're giving you a demonstration or walking you through something, which I think is really powerful. Um, so no, I, I love it. Um, I think having the opportunity, if you just want to be yourself and just go out there and do whatever you want, but if you want to have a slightly more polished look to be able to have that option, I think is genius. And I guess the I, I kind of look at Periscope the way I look at Twitter and Facebook Live, obviously, like Facebook, in that... Facebook, I'm going generally to a network of people who already know me. But when I when you tweet, there's always the possibility of reaching new people and going outside your your existing network, which can open up new opportunities. And Periscope's kind of the same way in that, you know, they they push your stuff out locally if you if you tag it locally and other people can find your your streams and, and so forth. So I think it's an opportunity for people who want to grow their network or gain exposure on Periscope in a way that they might not be doing on on Facebook because you're more limited to right like your friends of your friends and the people who have liked your page and, and that kind of thing. No, I completely agree. I think that's why. Twitter chats and Blab saw such a rapid growth because you could, new people could find you super easy. Um, it's much harder currently Facebook Live because yeah, you're kind of an echo chamber. People who like you, right, they already right. know and love you. And they may not tune in <laughs> because they know and love you. They know you're going to be back next week. Um, but if you're pushing it to Twitter or some of the moral viral platforms, um, the, the ability to reach more people um, is exponential. 
And and so you can kind of, you know, as people like to say now, you can grow your tribe or grow your community or, or what have you in a way that you can't maybe on on Facebook. So talk a little bit about influencer marketing. I know it's an area that, that you're working in. It's one. It's another one of those terms. There's a lot of different marketing terms out there, and I think not everybody necessarily understands what is influencer marketing and how it works. So let's just start at the beginning. What is influencer marketing? So I guess people, whenever I try to explain influencer marketing, they always tell me, well, everybody influences somebody. And I'm like, I get that. I get that. I influence, you know, my friends, you know, my spouse, my kid, like whoever everybody has their bubble, but influence at scale is hard and that takes a unique skill set. So influencer marketing is tapping into people who are in your kind of your circle and so you're outside your immediate connection who um, are already talking about it, interested in your area of expertise or your products. Um, so partnering with them, co-creating content, um, that is influencer marketing. You're leveraging their network and their ability to influence at scale. Right, right. And then how how do companies take advantage of influencer marketing um, in a more practical set? Like how how exactly when a company comes to you and and talks to you, how how can you help them? Like what are a few simple steps that that are good practices for a company to take? Well, the first step is knowing who their target audience is. So typically, when I get a new client, I walk them through developing personas because you'd be surprised. Nine out of ten businesses are not completely aware of who their target audience is. It's usually they have who they want it to be, but it's not who they actually are. So we go through the exercises of determining immediately in the middle, like who is your target audience? Um, and then we do some research to determine who of their desired target audience is influential. So for some people, they want them to be already be blogging. Others, it's an amplification place. Maybe they want them to have 50,000 followers on Twitter. Um, so there are certain like metrics that we put in place to reach business goals, depending on you know what the goal of the campaign might be. Um, but ideally, we identify somebody and we partner and we create something and drive mm -hmm. traffic to a place. And, you know, the business, it's it's hard to answer that question because a lot of people, they just want to grow their brand awareness. So that would be, you know, I just, I'm going to pick Ross because he has a good following and his community is loyal. So we're going to pick you and you're going to share a brand message. If we want to drive traffic, to a certain destination for a purchase or a download an ebook, slightly different persona. So uh, persona is key. And that's why I always start there's the right. first step for influencer marketing. And what are the general parameters for somebody to be an influencer? Is there a certain number of followers? Is there a certain number of sales? Is there something like what what, what do you how do you identify an influencer for for a brand? It's different because my clients are very varied. I have Fortune 50 companies and I have startups and everyone in between. Right. Um, so, and also the industries are very different. So an influencer in a social media space, typically they have, you know, they've written books or they're, they have a great blog, they have a high number of following, but perhaps somebody in the IT space, they're not going to be super active on Twitter or the most popular sites, like perhaps someone like you and I might be, they might be on um, more, private blogs or LinkedIn groups. So the search process is different and truly their influence is their ability to create action. I mean, that's the definition of influence. So they could have 500 followers on Twitter, but if 250 of those people jump every time they ask them to do something, that person has great influence. If you have 20,000 people and still only 250 people 
you know, click on the link that we sent you, your influence, it's perceived as great, but your actual influence to me and the business value is poor. Right, right. So you're, 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 what you're looking at is, is there engagement? Is there activity on, on a post? Not, you know, are, does somebody have 250,000 followers and get two likes on a post? They probably purchased them or there are probably a lot of bots in there. Yeah, the engagements. It's so easy to see. And also like if you might be tweeting once an hour, but if nobody's engaging with you, it's kind of like if a tree falls in the wood and no one here, like (laughs) there has to be a happy percentage of responses to your, your outbound posts. Um, right. And we factor all of that in. It doesn't necessarily have to be a mention, but it's retweets and favors. So it has to be some level of engagement so people are seeing the content that you're sharing. And for people who do have a big following and do get a lot of engagement or do have a strong community in a niche market, um, how do they go about becoming an influencer and getting in front of, uh, of brands? I think, well, if someone, I mean, I think it's weird to strive to be an influencer. So I think for me, it's, I kind of, <laughs> if, if I it, if I meet somebody and they're like, Hey, I'm, I'm an influencer. And I'm like, well, you don't influence me because I don't know you. <laughs> right, right. So it's, it's an interesting discussion that you could in theory, um, proactively work towards becoming an influencer. Um, and if there is a brand that you truly wanted to work with, I would start by sharing their content. Uh, commenting, especially not just sharing, getting to know their team on social, um, and then suggest things. Saying, "Hey, I really love that X Y Z. Would you mind if I shared this or did a talk about it on my Periscope feed?" Do it pro bono. Show them the results. Say, "Hey, I talked about your product for 30 minutes, and I had 5,000 people tune in." So give them ideas, like kind of serve them up a suggestion uh, for how. Or if you're great at producing written content already write about them and maybe include them in a blog that mentions other brands and then reach out and say, Hey, I wrote this blog that mentioned your brand. It got this many page views and this many shares. I would love to work on something else with you guys. Like just, you know, lay it out there because it's, it's all about metrics. And if you can't prove your value, then a brand's not necessarily going to see it just because you have so many followers on social. Just want to give a quick shout out to everybody on Facebook. Thanks so much for watching on Facebook live. Uh, Sabrina's over there, Roy Montero, Eddie's over there, Donna, Claudia Santiago, April Roga. Thanks so much. Um, if you do want to ask a question, um, feel free to come on over to Blue Jeans. It's, uh, you can get there by going to rossbrand.live. is an easy way to get there, and um, you're welcome to jump in, ask Rachel a question. Uh, we are talking with Rachel Miller, uh, social media strategist, social business strategist, influencer marketing expert. Um, you're also inter- very interested in marketing technology, which we'll get to in, in a minute. Um, what are the the kind of like, what are the agreements that influencers make with brands? Are they compensated directly? Is it an exchange? Is it just lo- wanting to sort of be on the in with a company that they like or a product that they like and get some some new information or tips? What it seems like the Wild West in terms of what agreements people make with brands who are marketing on, on social media. Is there is there sort of a standard way that, that, that this happens? I'm not sure if there's a standard. I mean, there are definitely the paid and unpaid opportunities, but I kind of liken successful influencer marketing to successful employee advocacy because they're very similar. Um, and you need to know what makes each individual person tick. 
Because if you have a great tool and I'm a tool junkie, and if you are going to give me beta access and I get to test drive it through, you know, 30 days for anybody else, that might be alluring enough for me to become a brand ambassador. For other people, they might be motivated by a financial gain. Other people, it might just be you sharing that I'm associated with you on social. So you really have to find out what is most compelling to each person, and then you focus on that. Because um, influencer marketing by no means has to be a pay-to-play situation. And that's a misconception that I hope we can kind of break down because there are a lot of wins and co-collaborating. A lot of people become a brand ambassador because they truly just liked that yogurt brand or, you right. know, they <laughs> it, it was an affinity from the start and they're more than happy to assist you with your marketing efforts. And so that, that leads kind of to the area, to another area of, of brand ambassadors or people who could be considered influencers depending on their activity. And that's the employees of a company themselves, not necessarily the decision makers or the people making the product or selling it, but it could be any employee in the organization that's passionate about a product or involved in, you know, knows the product sometimes better or as well as uh, the people doing customer service and things like that. Um, do you work with companies on the HR people side to, um, you know, really activate their talent to, to be ambassadors? Um, especially if it's a larger company, we always request that they look inward first to see if they have people who are happy to share on social and, and especially right now with live video. Um, I don't feel like employees need to be forced to be social and share their brand, but you'd be surprised at how many are more than willing and they're so proud to work there. Um, and those stories are the best because, um, yeah, they do provide a new perspective and that, you know, that human element, you know, if this were H2H, we would get a little ding. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but those human stories are, you know, they're so compelling, more so than any outside influencer. So on your bio, you have a really cool tagline. You say you organize the world and make things pretty. What, what does that mean exactly? So I've always, um, even I think since I was a child, I haven't, I'm very organized in my personal and professional life. Like I always made my bed as a kid. I'm a big list person. <laughs> like if you look at my fridge, there's like variety of lists for ones for Target, ones for the grocery store. I know where I'm, where I'm going and what I need. A lot of that has been switched over to, you know, my phone in the last couple of years. Um, and then, yeah, especially in the workplace, I've definitely been the one that kind of pulls all those strings together and like I can put all the dots in order and guide people down the right path. So I, uh, I kind of pride myself on being able to organize the chaos. Right. Right. We're getting uh, great feedback from Facebook live. A lot of people, uh, enjoying the interview and the insights that you're sharing. Um, here on blue jeans, we have Dan, uh, Sabrina, Cheval, Terry Johnson just joined us. Welcome Terry, Deron. Um, so it's, it's it's something to get used to doing a show where you have multiple chats going on at the same time. So if I miss anybody or miss any comments, um, feel free to just come on over. We're at rossbrand.live and you can jump in the chat and ask questions or you can even come on air with us and ask Rachel um, any questions that you have related to social media or marketing or influencer marketing. Talk a little bit about marketing tech. That's an interesting area and what exactly is marketing tech and how um how integrated is it do you feel into what most uh businesses like big businesses i'd say big more than small but uh, how, how how much are they using uh the the current marketing technology that's out there i think marketing technology is a pretty broad term right now um because that can encompass anything from twitter analytics 
you know, right. which free well have access to to something like a Sysimos, um or a Sprout Social. I mean, it's it's a very broad landscape, and I do feel that most businesses, um, if they're watching social, hopefully they're trying to monitor their success, um, and they are using it. Um, I am a proud tool junkie. I have, I'm always in like ten different trials of something. Right. Um, so I like to kind of keep my finger on the pulse of what's, especially what's important to me. So social analytics is obviously a big one for me and influencer marketing. Um, so helping my clients um, track and monitor their success is, is important. It actually keeps me in business. So I got to, <laughs> I got to right. stay on top of that. <laughs> what are some of the tools that you like using? Uh, for social analytics, um, I guess a lot of the networks right now, the native analytics have improved significantly. So Twitter analytics is great. Obviously, Facebook analytics. Um, I do use Sysimos for clients. I'm very blessed that I have access to that tool. Um, I use a lot of little random ones. I'm a huge Rival IQ fan. Uh, BuzzSumo for tracking mentions and content shares. Uh, and I, even Google Alerts is kind of the old fail safe. I still have my name and my client's names popping in there. Um, as a backup for a lot of the tools. Do you schedule, um, do you use a scheduling app for Twitter? And if I you do. mentioned it, I apologize again. I'm trying to listen. No, no, to actually, that was not one. I, I, use Buffer. You use Buffer. Um, I use Buffer for Twitter. And then I actually manually post uh, to Facebook and LinkedIn right now. Um, right. But, and I don't post there too often. So usually that's more, I keep my content fairly on point with, um, and you probably notice I, I rarely share it on Facebook, but whatever it is, it's either hyper relevant to my area of expertise or, you know, something that I feel strongly about. And LinkedIn, again, you know, I kind of keep it to content marketing or influencer marketing. Twitter, is it, it's a little bit of everything. It's got, you know, how to recycle better, <laughs> my favorite burger recipe. <laughs> right, right. Uh, where do you feel that, you know, you're getting the most in, in your own social media where you're getting the most the most return, I guess, on your time spent, because so, there's so many platforms and people are spending so much time on trying to be everywhere and trying to use social media. And um, I'm just curious where you think you are and where in general you think this is where the opportunities are right now to get the most for your <laughs> your time. And I know it varies based on industry and based on what your goals are and what your interests are in your community and all that. But big picture. <laughs> Um, I think big picture, Twitter will still be my number one. Right. Just because it is the ability to attract people who don't know your brand using the right hashtags, tweeting at the right time. Um, it, there's really, it's unparalleled just because of the reach that you can potentially get if you put a little bit of thought into how you phrase your, you know, your title. Obviously, now with the picture not being a part of your character right. limit, it's even uh, a little bit more broader. Um, but no, I think that's, you can, I don't, I'm not an advocate, I don't, but hashtagging you can tap into. So for me, if there's an event going on, like if it's a content marketing related event and I have an, a great article about content marketing, I feel it's okay to share that in the stream. Um, so there are great ways we can get on people's radar um, with little effort. Um, right. I get great engagement on LinkedIn um, for whatever, I get a lot of likes and comments when I share something there. But again, that's more uh, B2B, not so much B2C. Right. Um, and, but I know a lot of people that are great, getting great engagement on Instagram. So I think you really just need to pick up, for me, picking a platform and going all in, I think is one of the most important things. You can't be everywhere, um, but if you dedicate the right amount of time and do your research and get to know how to optimize a network, I think you'll see success, no matter right. what industry you're in. 
Right. And when you look at people in, in the live streaming world, I think um, Facebook, obviously, because of Facebook Live and, and also just because there's Facebook groups now for people who have interests like live streaming and things like that have totally taken over for what used to be kind of groups that you'd find on LinkedIn, maybe, which are more spam filled, I think, at this yes. point, right? No, I actually... Um... I used to not be that fond of Facebook groups, but they have had a major shift in the last year. I find way more value in Facebook groups now than I do in my LinkedIn groups because you're right. One, LinkedIn groups are very, very spammy. Right. Um, and I think the moderator, like people take their Facebook groups very seriously, especially the ones that are invite only. They keep a close eye on what's being said um, and keep the conversation positive and educational. And I have a lot of respect for people that are running those kind of groups. And then of course, Twitter's, kind of a must no matter what you do right i mean you got to have a presence on twitter and it's 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 really if nothing else right when you meet somebody when you go to an event when you when you publish something whatever it is you do right people want to that it's a quick way to 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 stay on somebody's mind right to have an at sign so you it's it's worth investing some time on on twitter for most businesses don't you think for sure and i think it's not just having a Twitter account and you, you tweeted six months ago, I think no, if no. you're going to have one, I mean, I personally would rather not find one than find one and see that it hasn't tweeted or it has the egg avatar. Right. No, no, no. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, you kind of, you, you went there, but then you didn't, you know, do the other steps. So. No, I'm saying like it's worth tweeting on a regular basis and keeping it active, even if you're not getting a thousand click throughs and so forth, because it's still there a place where somebody can go to learn about you. You have your bio and all, but you're right. It's worthless. If, if, if people come and they see you haven't used it in six months, it's almost more like, well, what, why are you here? If you're not going to use yeah, it. I, mean, I think it's also so easy to find somebody. I mean, I've, even just typing in the search bar, you can use a hashtag. Like I always recommend right. people use hashtags related to what they do in their bio. But you can even use a long tail phrase. People will find you because I don't know if you know, like it brings up the accounts containing mm -hmm. those words and then obviously the live tweets. Then there's the advanced search. You can get very granular um, with very little effort and find exactly who you're wanting to talk to. So Twitter so for putting, sure. Putting your hashtags in your bio gives you a chance to come up on the hashtag searches. Yes. So that's that's huge. And a lot of people aren't doing aren't doing that. Yeah, I'd say most yeah, 30% of people, I think, who are taking their Twitter seriously, I think, are putting right. the hashtags in. Or they put in a made-up one, which is cute, but again, it it's unlikely do anything that I'm going to look for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, get, I guess you kind of got to have to find with hashtags a middle of the road, right? Like, if you put something that's so popular, you could disappear, but it, within a huge search, right? But if you put something that nobody's searching for, then you won't ever be found, right? You have to find yeah. something that's sort of exactly. specific to you and not every single big company is tweeting about every five minutes, right? <laughs> and then, I mean, I recommend updating it also. Like, don't have the same Twitter bio for five years. Right. Um, my, my opener has been the same since the day I was on Twitter, um, but the other words change. I actually just changed it a few days ago, um, depending on what I'm working on or, or if, you know, the social business term, um, used to trend a lot for marketing. Now it's more of a green initiative. So I was like, yeah, it's probably me. Not that I'm not interested in that, but that's if somebody right. asked me advice on that, I don't have anything. <laughs> so <laughs> I changed that to um, more social strategy, which is kind of a better representation of what I do.
Right, right. Now, there's been a, like a lot of debate kind of on uh, among live streamers and people um, with Facebook. Do you post your your shows and and what you're doing with live streaming on your personal profile or should you only be posting it on your on your brand page or business page or, you know, personal I don't even want to call it personal page, but yeah, your page, right? Like you have your business page, even if it's not, you're not doing it as a business, you have a page about your show or about what you're doing with live streaming. Should all your live streaming related posts be there? Should you put them on your, your personal profile? Cause you're going to get more engagement probably, unless you've had a page going for a long time. Where do you come down on like, well, you're mixing business and pleasure, or it's an interest. Maybe not everybody who you're connected to is really interested in. Um, cause I'll, I'll just raise my hand. I'm guilty. I use my personal, I'm connected to so many social media and live streamers, uh, as you know, who I friended that uh, it doesn't make sense not to almost to put it there. But I know some people are like, there's gotta be a division and you've got to like business on a page and personal on personal. So <laughs> It's, yeah, that's an in, it's an interesting discussion because everyone uses Facebook differently. So I was definitely in the it's only for personal camp for a very long time. And it's maybe been about 18 months since I've opened it up to professional contacts. Before that, it was literally people that I'd met, um, you know, friends from college, from high school, you know, family, you know, aunts and uncles. That was who like and even now my Facebook uh, network is quite small compared to others. I think it's only a few hundred people. Right. Um, and I am still, I think, twice before posting um, uh, something personal related uh, or professional related. Sorry. Um, however, if I had a show and I was trying to solicit views of my show, I would definitely I mean, I wouldn't do it every day, but I would definitely do a promo because chances are your friend from high school might be super interested in that topic. And then they might reshare. You never know who's going to reshare and engage and tune in. So I don't think. It's who you are. I don't think the world right now, like we're not like this is work and this is personal. It's it's just our lives. So right. um, and if you're comfortable to your page, you choose. And if someone is annoyed, then they can, you know, hide notifications. Right, right. <laughs> There's so many ways to hone your feed right now. So the ownership is more on them than you because you're doing your thing. If they don't want to see it, you can guide them on how they cannot see posts like that anymore. That's what I would do. <laughs> right, right. And I, I mean, I, you know, it came up because usually I typically share, like I do an update uh, every weekday, right? And I share that to my, my Facebook page. And then from there, I share it over to my personal and into some relevant groups and stuff. Right. And one day I, I posted it and then I waited a few hours to share and I'm like, wow, that has a reach of four people really. Because if I share it right away, it could already have like, 50, 100 views after a few hours, or, you know, at least it'll have some reach. Right. And, yeah. and when I forgot to share it to my, my personal, I come back and it's like, it's reached four people. Well, I know it's not, they're not, it's not live video, but even so I was thinking I was getting a better return than on video to a page than that. But, but I don't think I am. So I, I don't feel like I have any choice, but to share it. I still put it first on the page, right? I, I still want to build up the page and, you know, right. still want to say, okay, this is something I'm taking more seriously than just a hobby maybe, but I still feel I have to share it over to my personal or I'm not going to get the, the interaction. And that includes people who are in, who are in the social media live streaming 
marketing realm, they're still finding it on my page, on my personal profile, not on my page, usually when I post something. No, and I think that makes sense. And you're, the issue that you're seeing is, is common with brands. Like the brands, that's why employee advocacy exists because right. an employee sharing it to their personal page is going to generate way more engagement than a brand just sharing it to their brand page. I mean, obviously there are exceptions, but on average, in, especially in the, like small business, personal, like a human, a face, people are like, oh yeah, I'm going to tune in. Like I'm going to reshare that because that looks interesting. But if it's just a brand, you're like, well, Eh, especially if it's recorded. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> There's so, no sense of urgency. <laughs> I mean, I think the only downside of doing that, and I'm not really sure that I consider that much of a downside, is maybe I don't see quite as many posts in my feed because it seems to be what you post about and what you interact with. So if I'm interacting with a lot of stuff about live streaming and stuff, then maybe I'm not seeing in my feed friends from college or, you know, family members as much. I'm still seeing some, but I, I think I'm not seeing nearly as much because you can only get so much stuff in your feed, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm seeing that the most for me personally is on Instagram. I feel like I see the same five people every time I, no matter what, and also, and I get annoyed when I look at the time they posted and it was like eight hours ago. And then, you know, you scroll down a little bit more and it's like something from 20 minutes ago. Like, I still want to see everything in chronological order. Like, I don't like that most popular or because you liked it last view. Because um, it could just be something like I liked it, but I don't want to see it again. Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah, like I tend to be very generous with likes. If I see something that looks nice, I'm going to like it. Right. Yeah. And now well, I feel like stuff. it's just like, no, oh, right. cool. now I feel like I. Uh, maybe I have to be more careful because if I like something too, like if I like somebody's content too often and it's not related to what I really want to see, does that mean that that person's going to eventually get pushed to the front of the line? And if they're posting on Instagram four times a day, those are always going to be the first four posts I see. <laughs> I know. I wish Instagram had like another option, kind of like, you know, Facebook. Right. Now we have the like and we have the love and the laugh and all the. I wish Instagram had that, too, because. Sometimes I don't want to give it a heart, but I do want to let them know, like, that's cool. I don't love it. I don't heart it, but I like it. <laughs> right, right. I, I mean, I feel like I'm noticing that some of the my engagement, some of my, you know, likes and stuff like that have dropped off on Instagram recently. Um, I don't know if that's just because I haven't been posting as much. And so the, maybe the more you post, the more they prioritize. I'm not really sure how the algorithm works. Um, but I wonder that people, it's like the same pain that we're feeling. Like they're like, well, I don't want to like Ross's anymore. Cause it's like the top of the page every time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's Monday. Another show. We get it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's Sunday. Yeah. So I guess you, you got to mix up what you post too on Instagram now. I liked it better when they forced everybody who followed you to see everything you posted in chronological order, yeah, right? yeah. whether they liked it or not. <laughs> or I wish I could like create a list, like people that I do want to see all the time and not have it like, cause I feel like I get that it's like an algorithm that we can tweak, but we don't have as much control over it as I would like. Um, so we'll see how things go. But um, I mean, everything is, everything changes every 90 days. So we'll see what they come out with next. Right, right. We're talking with Rachel Miller. If you're watching on Facebook, thank you so much for joining us. We are uh, using the Blue Jeans Network. If you'd like to ask Rachel a question, participate in the chat, join us on air. You can come on over. It's rossbrand.live, and that'll take you to 
the Blue Jeans Network and you can join us. Um, so what do you have coming up for what's coming up for you next? Are, are you doing any speaking? Are you doing any um, any events you have planned? Anything kind of public that you're you're looking to promote or you just come uh, on? I a good have some projects in the works that we'll be launching early next year, but I'm not uh, letting the cat out of the bag quite yet. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> stay tuned. I hope to be able to share some announcements um, in the next coming weeks. Um, no, so I don't think I have any events coming up. Um, I am excited again. Like I had a great time meeting you in New York a few months back. Right. Um, I do love going to events. So yeah, social media day next year, social media marketing world, I'll definitely be going to those again. Um, and I just realized that it has been forever since I blogged, I was analyzing my own social footprint the other day. So right. Then uh, put back into my top three things to work on for the, uh, through the end of the year to get my my content engine. It's kind of like going to the gym. Like once you stop, it just seems like such a chore right. to write a blog post. So I was pumping them out for a while. I'm like, I need to get get that engine back going. <laughs> yeah, I, I got the same thing going on with blogging. Like I do a blog post for every show that I do, and I I had done it religiously. Like Monday night, the show's over. That night, I'm doing I'm uploading the video to YouTube. I'm doing the blog post. I'm embedding the video. It's all everything that I need to do for it is done. And then one week, um, Fire Talk lost my show and I didn't do it. And ever since then, it's like, OK, now I've got three weeks of show, four weeks of show, five weeks. Of, so I got a little bit of blogging to do myself. <laughs> it's funny how like one interruption to your workflow. Well, I went that week without blogging and the world went on it's yeah, sort of like eating healthy or not eating healthy right like once you open the bag of chips you're not just having one right <laughs> yeah, show notes are hard i give kudos to anybody who does that regularly although i was just a hack was shared with me that if you play back your video to google talk and you have it create the doc it's it allows you to then go back in and edit without having to like you know listen and then transcribe manually so that might um i haven't tried it yet but um a good friend told me that's how they Wait, do it. This is genius. So you play your video. Yeah, like you were like, you know how you can dictate into like, you know, the Google, I don't know if it's Google Talk or what the tool is. It's Google something. One of their docs, right? Like one, one of their, their yeah. like their so Word version. Or... Exactly. So it thinks you're talking because you are, but then right. it also picks up the audio from the other person. Um, and that's like just your running transcript. And then you can just go back in and do a quick edit. So then you have like you can say full transcript and then at the top maybe like highlights or however you want to break it down. But and then you just take it right out of there. Like and yeah. that's where you get your quotes, you get everything, right? Yeah, verbatim. So I haven't tried it, but I was like, man, that's genius. Why didn't I think of that? Wow. That is great. Yeah. <laughs> that's so great. stay tuned. I, I should try that soon. So if it doesn't work, I'll let you know. <laughs> So in the time we have left, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, since you do organize the universe, um, what kind of advice can you give people in terms of perhaps some digital tools that are out there that can help people stay organized either with their social media or with their work projects or just managing everyday life in, you know, this busy world we live in? So the first one, I know we touched on it earlier. So if you're not using a social scheduler, such as Buffer, that should be what you go sign up for right now. There's no excuse for not having your posts scheduled. I, I I like when people say that they prefer to do it manually, but you really want to free up your time for engaging in real time, not posting in real time. Right. Um, it pains me to think that people are reading and then, you know, four articles and they share it. And I love that you create your thoughtful little posts, but um, 
we all have 24 hours in a day and buffer is amazing. I, for me, I use kind of Sunday evenings. I go through, um, look at my RSS feeds that go into buffer and that's where I read the majority of my content for the week. Um, and I, yeah, bucketing time, I guess that would be another tip. I block off time for everything. So I'm well aware that after that second hour hits that my capacity to be brilliant has dropped to like a 10% probability. Right. <laughs> so I don't, <laughs> I usually schedule things in like an hour, hour and a half allotment. And then I take a break, I do something else. I'll check my Twitter and then right. I jump in or I'll move on to the next task and revisit it the next day. Um, and keeping on top of your mentions. So whether there's a mention app or you can use there's another app called uh, Sales Prodigy, um, BuzzSumo, if that's, um, if it's in your budget, um, keeping tabs on when people are mentioning you in all its misspellings, whether it's your Twitter handle, full name, your nickname is important. Right. You want to be able to jump in. It's part of brand management. If you're going to be on social, you need to be aware of what's being said. So that would be my, my next tip. And how, how, when you schedule tweets, do you have, do you use buffer where you can set up like your first tweet will go out at this time, your second tweet at that time, or do you manually schedule, uh, your tweets each for each day? in terms of the time use, that it go. I use their optimizer tool, um, but I do check it every 30, 45 days and I, I update it. Um, Cause I do like that it knows in theory when my network is most active. Um, if I see a huge hole, like if I, if I tweet at 6 a.m. but I don't tweet again till 5 p.m. I'm like, wait up, that's not right buffer. And I'll go right. in and I'll fill it in or I'll to ask it to do it again. But typically it's pretty spot on. Um, and I actually have a heavier schedule on the weekend. So I've noticed that a lot of my, you know, we all have jobs right, right. <laughs> busy during the week. I found that a lot of my, um, community members are most active in the evening and on weekends. So that's where I post heavier in the evening and then Saturday and Sunday. Even though the sort of the traditional wisdom was, uh, between 11 AM and 2 PM or something on weekdays, right? That was like, yeah, yeah I know for those me, infographics used most, to tell you. Yeah, I know for me, that's when I'm like, that's some heads down. That's when I'm working hard. So I don't often check my social feeds then, um, right. unless I see a mention and it's something that's time sensitive to jump in and join the conversation. But no, yeah, for me, I'm most active too in the evenings. Um, and do you have like a certain number of tweets that you schedule each day or? I, right now, I think I just changed it's eight during the week and 12 on Saturday and Sunday. And then everything else you do is engagement or the rare time where you might just see something and go, that's timely or, you know, exactly. it, that hashtag's trending right now. And that's my area of interest. Maybe I should get in on that and share some stuff or. Yeah. So yeah, you'll find sometimes in the evening, I'll shoot out like three posts, like within like 30 minutes. That's because I, I just read them. And I was like, usually I'll share but then I'll also buffer. So they'll go out later in the week. But if right. I'm excited or if I want to tag somebody in it, I'll usually just send it out right away. And is there a number of times for the same tweet or, you know, when I say the same tweet, I could mean a variation of it. Right. But the same, say the same blog post or the same article or whatever, like how many times will you share that in a day or in a week? Like how much is too much and how much is not enough? Do you think? So if it's an article that I've written or mentioned, I'll share it twice in a day for usually two weeks. And then I'll put it on like a recurring, like once a month for maybe six months. Um, the buffer content library is awesome. Um, and I'm also really diligent about checking my buffer analytics. And I go through and see what was most retweeted and most clicked through. 
Um, right. And I will rebuffer those posts and then I'll go back and see what those articles were about. Um, right. If it's something that's just super trendy, I'm like, eh, that probably wasn't great. But if it was actually something that was like just a really well-written article that resonated with the community, then I'll go in and I'll rebuffer it for a few more times. That's that's a, that's that one of my favorite. By the way, <laughs> that's one of my favorite features of Buffer, and in, in that, like, I look at that. Okay, that got a lot of activity. Let me just slide that over to one of my other accounts, and <laughs> we'll give yeah, it a go there. Side, looking at what didn't work, like, well, look at all the posts that didn't get any clicks, and you're like, what was wrong with that one? Because maybe you read it and it was an amazing article, but you used the wrong hashtags or you forgot to put right. any hashtags. Um, so I kind of go back through there as well um, and just double check my work because um, I, I like to think that everything should at least get one view. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> and this and then, that's, it's, it's very offensive if nothing gets clicked. <laughs> yeah. And it's frustrating, too, when you write an article and you see like you get like 10 retweets and nobody actually clicked through to read it. <laughs> right? But then you're like, nobody's at all because that's my favorite content metric is page views. Or, and also time on page because that's right. nothing is more insulting when you look and like yeah we had 500 shares and then you're like oh but only like 50 people actually read it that's awesome right, right. <laughs> yeah, because people, nobody. <laughs> yeah because people are sharing it because they like you or they think you're a credible source or you know here's something i can share that other people might be interested in but Boy, it's it's kind of busy to like stop and read every every interesting looking article on Twitter. It is. And yeah, again, it's kind of like a retweet these days. It's kind of like that like on Facebook. It's more of like a fist bump than anything. But um, you would hope that people click. <laughs> yeah, because ultimately that's the idea, right? It's to drive right. traffic somewhere. It's not just to have somebody give you a fist bump, right? Exactly, yeah. you're not you want to drive that traffic. If you're not driving it to your website, then you're really not converting on anything. Yeah. So listen, it's been so much fun chatting with you. It's been a long time coming since we started talking about doing this. And uh, I'm so glad you came on and, and shared all your insights about everything from live streaming to social media, to marketing, to influencer marketing, to marketing technology. Um, we could definitely do a, a part two sometime if you're, you're up for it. This is a, a blast. Thank you so much. Oh, no worries. I'm definitely open to a second appearance. I've had an amazing time. You're a fantastic host. Oh, thank you so much. And you can find Rachel at Rachel Lou, L-O-U Miller on Twitter and Discovering Rachel on Instagram. And any other any other accounts? Um, I think I got lucky. I think I'm even Rachel Miller on LinkedIn, which is remarkable considering the name is somewhat common, but um, I'm Rachel Oh, that's Miller. cool. So yeah. you are the Rachel Miller. <laughs> my avatar is the same. So if you see that black and white photo, that's me. <laughs> right. All right. Thank you so much. We'll be back next week with another episode of Livestream Stars. My guest is Vicki Taylor from the UK. It'll be late for her, but she's going to stay up and join us. Talk about Summit Live and everything going on uh, over there. The UK is going to have a, a Summit Live event. So we'll, we'll talk to Vicki about that. Look forward to hearing about that. And have a great evening, everybody. Take care.